Well, last time we in Galatians have been introduced to Hagar and Sarah through Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, the New Jerusalem. And what we're seeing is that in Galatians, he's trying to compare the old to the new, saying that there was the old covenant under Hagar, but now we are entering into a new priesthood, a new covenant, and that would be Sarah, the new Jerusalem. And to illustrate this, we're going to look a little bit here in Hebrews to show you that there was going to be a change in the priesthood. And that's going to be important. Next week, we're going to look to see even further that there would be a change in the sacrifice as well. But for this week, we want to look at the change of the priesthood, uh, the difference between the priesthood of Aaron and the priesthood of Melchizedek. And so to begin with, we're going to take you to Psalm 110, verse 4, showing you one of the main differences between the old and the new is this priesthood. That in Psalm 110, it was talking about this mysterious figure called Melchizedek, who we've talked about in other lessons, but bottom line, I believe, is Yeshua. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, again, this is very odd because to be a priest, you had to come from Aaron, not Melchizedek. And so these are two completely different lines, just like Hagar and Sarah, Melchizedek and Aaron are two separate lines as well. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, in comparing these different priesthoods, Aaron versus Melchizedek, he says this, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, under Aaron, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Now, first of all, again, put yourself in Paul's shoes, if he is indeed the author of Hebrews. Uh, he is running around saying, the priesthood has been changed, while at the very same time, you can go to Jerusalem and you can see that the temple is still up. There are still people, uh, descendants of Aaron, the Levites, that are ministering at the temple, that are making sacrifices at the temple. You're going to sound nuts if he didn't have scriptural support for this. And that is why he's taking you back to Melchizedek. It was prophesied there would be a change right there in Psalm 110 that he would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is why the earthly temple had to go. And I believe this is why it has not been rebuilt to this very day. But here Hebrews is also just warning us and telling us that there's going to be another priest, just as Psalm 110 said, that also though, when there is a change in a priesthood, there's a change in rules, there's a change in the law. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that next week, showing you some of these changes that would take place, a change in the sacrifices. But for now, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Again, many Christians today say, well, Jesus got rid of the law. Uh, no, he did not. As a matter of fact, he said the opposite. He did not come to destroy it. 
He only came to fulfill it. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to complete. Doesn't mean it gets rid of it. It just means that he did it for us. It's still there. It's just the requirements of it are now met in him. This is why in Romans it says the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in him, in Jesus Christ. So note there is still a requirement of the law that still stands. And if we have Yeshua, those requirements are met. If you don't, those requirements are not met and you will be condemned by that law. But the law is still there. Verse 18, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now that doesn't mean just until Jesus came. It means until he comes again. Not one jot or one tittle is going to go away. The law still stands. The old covenant, it is gone, but only because it has been changed, which you are going to understand as we go through here more. Note as well that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. God said you are not to take away the law of God, and yet this is what exactly so many modern churches have done. Now, note he says you. It doesn't mean God can't change things. However, God will only change things if there's an indicator or it's already written in Scripture that he would do that. That's the only time God is going to change the word of God is when he prophesied that he would change it. But you have no right to add or take away. Why? So that you may keep the commandments of the Lord. And so even under the new covenant, we are to keep the commandments. Now we will fail, but we understand that the righteous requirements of it have been fulfilled in Jesus, but now we do it out of love. We do it because we want to, not because we have to or need to, to get to heaven. Jesus is what gets us there. Anyway, we continue here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law, as we read. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Again, you want to talk about radical he doesn't say that the law is gone. He says it has changed, a change of the law. So, not an abolishment of the law. Again, we've, we've talked about that, but just it, it's bringing it up again. Also, very important is to understand that every change, as I, I, I said this before, but you, you need to hear it again, every change or every amendment to the law has to come from what was written already in the Torah. God had forewarned that this change was coming. So to say this, if that wasn't already in Scripture warning it was coming, to say this would be blasphemy. It would be heresy, and you would be stoned for it. Paul is not stoned for this because he can support it from the Scriptures that this change was going to take place. Now, as an example, the priesthood was changed. But I... That's because Psalm 110 said that there would be a priest coming in the priesthood of Melchizedek who would reign forever. It predicted this. Jeremiah said that there was going to be, uh, in chapter 31, that there would be a new covenant 
for Judah and for Israel, in which the law would be taken from stone and put on our hearts. Therefore, that change can be justified because Jeremiah talked about it. God has always left us a witness. And therefore, if it isn't in the old, then it is not proper to change. So again, beware modern church of saying that the old has been abolished. As a matter of fact, this is even why we see that the Samaritans in the New Testament, they worshiped on Mount Gerizim because it was here where the Torah said that blessings were be, uh, pronounced. However, they rejected the prophets, which also talked about Jerusalem. So without both the law and the prophets, they were led astray. And this is why the, the woman at the well says, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem, but we, we worship here on this mountain. Where should we worship? And Jesus says, a time is coming when you will neither worship on this one or that one, but you will worship in spirit and truth. But the point is, is that she was missing out because they dismissed the prophets. And therefore, we need both the law and the prophets to be able to understand the word of God fully. To understand this New Testament and the new covenant, you need to understand the old. You can't get rid of it. Exodus chapter 32, verse 4. Um, there is a precedent that was set that this change was coming. Look at this. It says, and he received the gold from their hand. This is talking about Aaron. We've got the whole gold calf incident here. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh, to the Lord. The Hebrew there, Lord, is Yahweh. So notice Aaron is trying to say, we're going to worship Yahweh, the true God, but we're going to do it the way we want to, the way the people expect to, the way the culture had dictated. And God saw that as an abomination. So the point that I want to make here first, though, is this. Here, the one who was appointed as high priest, Aaron, the one who is to be mediator before the people, the one who is supposed to be in this amazing priesthood, he sets up an altar and leads the people astray. In other words... This is a picture that the original Aaronic priesthood, when it's first beginning, already had flaws. This is an indicator that it was not going to be perfect. It was not going to be good enough, that there was going to be a need for something better. Today, you know, as I said, when they're going to worship the Lord here, I, I see this happening all the time in the churches. Say, well, we're going to worship the way, you know, Jesus, the way we want to, the way our culture dictates, the way we grew up. But we're not going to do it the way the Lord said to in his word. Uh, the festivals are one great example of that. God has given us festivals to celebrate his resurrection, to celebrate his death, to celebrate his second coming. But the church has said, well, we don't want to do that. Those are Jewish things. No, they're biblical things. And as a result, we said, well, we're going to do Christmas, what is really a pagan holiday, and we're going to adapt it and worship Yahweh, the Lord, through this pagan way. That's exactly what we have done with Christmas and Easter. If you don't believe me, just Google it. But that's not for today's message. Even Catholics might say, well, Jesus is the only way for me to get to heaven, but, you know, for a Muslim, it might be Allah. It might be Buddha for somebody else. Well, that's not the same Jesus of the Bible. You have added to the word of God. You have changed what God's word said, and you're worshiping God the way you want to worship him, not the way God says he is to be worshiped. 
So anyway, the point being, as I said, though, is that there was an indicator that this old Aaronic covenant would not be perfect. There needed to be something different. It continues here in Exodus 32. So Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? In verse 25, now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Again, showing perfection would not come through the Aaronic priesthood. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it tells us that God was going to even kill Aaron for this had not Moses interceded on his behalf. So Aaron never entered the promised land because of this. Another picture, by the way, that the Aaronic priesthood would not be in the new covenant. In fact, Joshua, the one that leads them into the promised land, not Aaron, Joshua is the same name as Yehoshua, Jesus, Yeshua. This is all prophetic, that Aaron would not enter the promised land, that this isn't going to be what leads you into your heavenly home. It needed to be something else. We go to the New Testament in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and we see another clue here in John the Baptist. He was the purest of bloodlines. He was a priest even from Aaron. This is what it says. There was in those days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. In other words, John the Baptist is in the direct line of the Levites of Aaron, a priest. His, his dad is a high priest. And it, the Bible says, Jesus even said in the Bible, that there was none greater than John the Baptist born of men. That even means Aaron himself. Now, John the Baptist, though, is born six months before Jesus, Yeshua, is born. And so just as the Aaronic priesthood comes before the priesthood of Melchizedek in the New Testament, Aaron first, Jesus later, we also see John the Baptist, Aaron first, then Jesus, Melchizedek second. Even that pattern is seen there in the New Testament. In John chapter 3, verse 26, we are seeing that we are in a transitional period at the time here uh, of Jesus. We see, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, he's speaking to John the Baptist, to whom you have testified, behold, he, Jesus, is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now, by the way, later we see it was his disciples baptizing, not Jesus. But anyway, verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He, Jesus, must increase, but I... John the Baptist and Aaron must decrease. Again, this is prophetic, saying not just the person of Jesus, but also the priesthood, that the priesthood of Aaron must decrease so that the priesthood of Melchizedek would increase. Now, I want to take you to some Jewish history here as well, and uh, from the Talmud itself, showing you 
that 40 years is basically scripturally, it's a time of testing. It's also a time of transition. This is what we see Noah's flood, 40 days of rain, Jesus' ministry. He goes in 40 days into the wilderness before beginning his, his ministry. But history shows us that there was going to be a change in the priesthood taking place. No longer will three miracles take place according to the Jewish history here. Look what it says happened after Jesus. Our rabbis taught during the last 40 years before the destruction of the temple. That means it was destroyed in 70 AD. So 40 years before the destruction is 30 AD. Guess who's walking the earth at that time? Jesus. It says 30 years or 30 AD basically. What happened? It says the lot, the casting of lots for the Lord did not come up in the right hand, nor did the crimson-colored strap become white, nor did the western most light shine, and the doors of the heckle or the temple would open by themselves. Three things are going on here. The first thing that happened starting in 30 AD is that on the Day of Atonement, they would, they would take this lot, and there was a black stone and a white stone, and it said it did not come up in the right hand. This is what the, the Talmud, Jewish history, is telling us, that they, you would pick a black stone and the white one never turned up. Now, this happened for 40 years. Do you know what the chances of this happening for 40 times are? About one, and as you can see there, that number. That's one in 5.5 billion. So this has to be a miracle. Second thing that was going to happen, it says, nor did the crimson colored strap become white. On the Day of Atonement, they would take this crimson thread and they would hang it up in the temple and they would also tie one around the goat, the, the scapegoat's neck, Azazel, the one man on the Day of Atonement, the priest would put his hands on the uh, two goats. Uh, the, the, well, the, they'd cast lots first for the sacrificial goat and then the one that would be taken into the wilderness. The one that was to be sacrificed, they'd lay the hands on it. Uh, it would be sacrificed. The, the one that would be taken into the wilderness, they'd lay their hands on it, showing the sins of the people going on that goat, and that goat was taken into the wilderness, never to return again. Well, as they tied that red crimson thread around the goat and in the temple, history records that that would miraculously turn white every year, showing the sins of the people have been forgiven. Well, it says here that for those 40 years after 30 AD, it never happened anymore. Do you think maybe God was trying to tell them something that the sacrifice is over? The sacrifice is done? Now, a third thing that was supposed to happen was this. The westernmost light shine, the doors of the heckle, the temple, would not open, or it would open by themselves. Every night, the temple doors would open up. Now, these doors aren't small doors. These are things that took many men to open up. And this is being recorded in history that they would open on themselves. And this, too, happened around 30 B.C. Or, I'm sorry, A.D. The leading Jewish authority of that time, Yohanan uh, ben Zakkai, he declared that this was a sign of impending doom, that the temple itself was going to be destroyed. 
because this was happening. In the Jerusalem Talmud, it records this, said Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai to the temple, O temple, why do you frighten us? We know that you will end up destroyed. For it has been said, open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Quoting Zechariah 11, verse 1. And so that rabbi, one of the leading rabbis, saw that was a, a sign of impending doom. And sure enough, that's exactly what did happen. Now, other rabbis said that these things did not happen, and the doom took place. You know why? Because there was this false messiah that appeared, and too many people followed him. Well, I got news for you, folks. It wasn't a false messiah. It was the messiah that appeared, and they had rejected him, and that's why the destruction took place. Anyway, going back to Hebrews 7, verse 12, it says, For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Now we read that before, but going back to it, I want you to see that Jesus did not come from the line of Aaron. No man had ever ministered or officiated at the altar of God who was not from the line of Aaron until Yeshua comes. This is what Jesus is doing. And he's saying, you see, there is a difference between Hagar and Ishmael. There's a difference between the old and the new. There's a difference in this priesthood of the old and the priesthood of the new. The priesthood of the old, it had all kinds of signs that it would be flawed. It was from Aaron. And many people, many priests were failures. But now we have a new one. A priesthood of Melchizedek, a priesthood of Yeshua, a priesthood that has changed from Aaron, a priest that does not come from the line of Aaron, but from the line of Melchizedek. And with that is going to come a change of the law. Hebrews 7.15, and it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, one on stone, but according to the power of an endless life. You see, all those animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament, not a one resurrected, but Yeshua resurrected. Verse 17, for he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, that fleshly command was the law that said only a descendant of Aaron could serve. But it says, but he testifies, for he testifies, you are a priest forever. This is God. God testifies that Yeshua would be on the, the power and the evidence of his resurrection, a priest forever. And what he's doing here is he is quoting Psalm 110, showing you the Bible, the Torah said this change would be coming. You guys know that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. This is what Psalms was talking about. This is what Jeremiah 31 was talking about. This is why the priesthood was, was faulty, because there would be a better one. And we have now arrived in Yeshua. Verse 18 says here in Hebrews 7, For on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Again, the weaknesses that, were, that we just showed you, and many more. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. Why? Well, because we couldn't keep the law. But Yeshua came and fulfilled it, completed it for us. 
So for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, in the new, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. You see, in the Old Testament, how did they draw near to God? Well, they would make these sacrifices once a year. The priest would go into the most holy place. But again, it was done year after year, day after day. These sacrifices were there to remind them of their sins. And now there's a better hope through which we draw near to God. And that better hope, obviously, is this new priest, Yeshua, who lives forever. And when he died, that curtain was torn, so we have access to draw near to God through him. The Hebrew says that that curtain was torn, and that is his body, the flesh of Jesus Christ. We draw near to him. Continues here in verse 20. Hebrews 7, inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, in the Old Testament, the Aaronic priesthood, one of the differences is that if you were born of Levi, you could be a priest. There was no oath that you had to take. But here, there was an oath in the priesthood of Melchizedek. God took an oath. And that oath was Psalm 110. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. God swore by oath that it would be so. Therefore, there is a good reason for a change in this priesthood. Jesus lives while the others die. So he can be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. The priest grew old, but Jesus, he's alive, he's eternal, he will not grow old, there will never be another change. Verse 24, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So this now priesthood of Melchizedek will never change. And if someone tries to change it, if someone tries to bring in a new one, they are wrong and they will not be able to support it scripturally. Like Paul or whoever the author of Hebrews is here, is pointing out from scripture there's a reason for this change. Going on in verse 25 of chapter 7, it says, Therefore, he is also able to serve to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's alive. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. And it continues on in verse 27 who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. So the third reason that Jesus is a better priest here is that the priests of Aaron had to sacrifice for their own sins because they were sinful, as we saw there with Aaron and, and all the others. Jesus doesn't have to do that because he was perfect, without blemish, flawless, and so he offers himself and doesn't need to do this time and time and time again because he is the perfect sacrifice. It goes on in verse 28, For the law appoints as high priests men 
who have weakness. We've talked about that. But the word of the oath, Psalm 110, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So that word of oath there in Psalm 110, which came after the law, but notice it's still in the Old Testament, spoke of this priesthood that was to come. Therefore, there is a justification biblically for this change of the priesthood. It was foretold and it is fulfilled in Yeshua. And so this is where Galatians is really taking us. Uh, again, Hebrews is tying in with Galatians perfectly with Sarah and Hagar that we have a new priesthood. Next week, we're going to talk about a better sacrifice. But for now, this is taking us to Sarah, the new Jerusalem, a new priesthood under the priesthood of Melchizedek Yeshua. Now, by the way, I do think it's also kind of interesting that Melchizedek was before the law was given, before Aaron. And so a lot of people think we have a New Testament and an Old Testament. I see it this way. We had a New Testament, then we had an Old Testament, now we got a New Testament again. In other words, from the time of creation, all the way through Abraham, up to the time of Moses, what priesthood was around? The priesthood of Melchizedek. The one that came to Abraham. Where Abraham went and offered tithes to him. Then the Aaronic priesthood started. And now, when Jesus came, what do we do? We go back to the priesthood of Melchizedek. And what are the rules, the laws of the priesthood of Melchizedek? It is by faith that you are saved. Isn't that how Abraham was saved? You know, Romans chapter 4 talks about that very thing. That was Abraham considered righteous before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised that he received the seal of the promise. It is the promise that we are saved. Not the Aaronic priesthood, but the priesthood of Melchizedek. By faith, Abraham was saved. And because of his faith, he obeyed. That's the exact same thing here today. It is by faith that we are saved and by faith that we obey because we are saved. And so just an added little detail there. Well, I hope that that's beneficial in helping to, to start to understand that the Old Testament isn't as old as you think. And the Old Testament isn't null and void. It points us to Yeshua. And the more we understand the true uh, definition and the true understanding of the Old Testament, the more you're going to see that the old and new come together. And it is one book, one Yeshua, one salvation. And that in believing and obeying and uplifting the Old Testament isn't legalism. It's understanding it properly so that it is by grace. Have a great week.